If talking about new travel destinations or discovering the latest travel gadgets gets your heart racing just like mine, well then, you are in the right place. Hello there, I'm Katrina Rountree and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Come, our podcast about the wonders of travel, a place where we share memories from recent trips and we dream about upcoming adventures. So get your passports ready and join me for Journeys to Come. I'm not sure about you, but I have noticed everywhere from around the playground, in cafes, airports, there is this quiet chatter. What are you doing for uh, for your winter holidays? Are, are you going to go to the snow? Are you going to go to escape? Embrace or Last escape? So I thought, Which... aha, let's do the two. Let's offer something for everyone. I've been in travel long enough to know that winter escape means something different for every single person. So today we've got a little bit of everything. We, we're going to take you to the snowfields. We're going to take you to the to the beaches of Broome, all of this within Aussie, but also somewhere we're highlighting as well is wonderful Tasmania. Tasmania is absolutely heavenly at this time of year and somewhere that um, uh, also is becoming quite famous around the world because of its booze. Of course, it's wine, but also gin and whiskey. Want more travel in your day? Well then, join us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Journeys to Come and follow us. And while you're there, hey, how about you share your own travel pics and stories with the hashtag Journeys to Come. For, for me, uh, with, with my children, I'm just getting them into skiing. And uh, for, for me being in Victoria, I, I have just been introduced to a magnificent place called Mount Buller. And Mount Buller is the first resort to open up with guests skiing and boarding all at the same time. They have just opened their season and it's a magnificent place. And, and there's um, kind of a legendary location at Mount Buller called Grimace. And we have on the line now um, Anton Grimace, who's a, who's a bit of a superstar of the mountain. Hello there, Anton. How are you? Good thanks, guys. Good morning. Can I call Good you a, a, a legend of the mountain? I think legend of the mountain. I haven't been around <laughs> long enough to be able to claim that, but um, I've been up here all my life, so it is home for me. You grew up, yep, you grew up on the slopes. Hello. You've also skied uh, at the uh, 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics. Tell us a little bit about, about what you competed in at the, at the Winter Olympics. Yeah, so I competed in 2014 in Sochi in the event called Ski Cross. Um, many Australians can sort of um, see this as a winter version of BMX or motocross. So yeah. there's four athletes going down a hill filled with jumps, bumps, turns, and pretty much it's pretty exciting. It's pretty rough, and first person over the finish line wins. So much fun. So much so, fun. It is unreal. Now, I, I, I mentioned legend of... Uh, a legend of the mountain. Your dad certainly is a, a legend. Can you can you just let some people know who who haven't heard about Grimace or, or indeed about Mount Buller? Tell us a little bit about what led your your family to Mount Buller. Well, both my parents are actually Austrian. They um, they met in Australia. Fancy that. But um, dad um, made his way out to Australia when he was twenty one and started working on the snowfields soon after. And he started on the lift as a normal Tully, getting people on the lift safely. Worked on the lifts, installing lifts throughout the early years. And then um, as he had a carpentry background from Austria, he started building a small pension. And over the years, since 1973, when it first opened, 
it's grown bigger and bigger and mum and dad have run uh, an operation up here for many years and it's a you know hats off to them to um keep growing and keep putting into the snow business so i i love i love christmas up in in the mountains whether it's whether it's threadbow or or in your case high country victoria for some people listening who may not know the area i think if you visualize the man from snowy river um that's very close to where mount buller is where we this is this is the true blue high country australia high country victoria anton the season's just opened describe to us what's happening on the mountain at the moment well, last night was it was unreal. There was night skiing available for free for all the guests. So I think it was a really kickstart to the season. There was heaps of people out there. I even got the ski boots on and went out for about seven laps. And it was just a really great vibe. The the lights, the new floodlights were out on Burke Street. The snowmaking was pumping, but we had the natural snow. Um, and everyone was just happy. And it's pumping even today. This blue sky. Really? Just snow everywhere. It's... Oh, you're teasing um, it's, me. It's oh. just a winter wonderland. You know, Anton, something that I, I felt when I took my children night skiing uh, last year for the first time, and, and I have little children, we felt so safe. And I know it seems like a little bit of an oxymoron, um, night skiing, but but also the that area, that environment, you do feel incredibly safe, don't you? You do. It's um, it's unique because there's only the, the Burke Street run that's open at night mm-hmm. for skiing and it's pretty safe because you've got people around, the ski patrol's right next, next door and if you need to jump in for a coffee or a, um, a warm drink um, to warm you up, it's really close by. But this time of year for family in general, it's it's I think it's the best time of year, either early on in the season or late on in the season because there's loads to do. There's always potentially snow around. If you're beginners, Burke Street is the ideal run and it's easy access. Um, there's not, you know, not a bunch of snow like there is in winter. So getting around to the slope is unreal. The prices are pretty reasonable as well. So you can get up and, you know, take the whole family on a ski trip and mm-hmm. learn how to ski. How old were you when you first got on the skis? Do you remember? I think I have two older brothers and um, one that's a year and a half older. So he was out there um, skiing when he was about three or yeah. maybe three and a half. And yeah. I was... I was still inside when he was going skiing and I just was, I don't think I was too happy that he was skiing and I wasn't. So <laughs> I, I've got to be there. I think, I, I know, I kicked, kicked and screamed a bit and then I think I was out there when I was about two and a half. So. I think also, Anton, the wonderful thing about about skiing in general is that regardless of the age, regardless of when you start, um, there is no perfect time. Um, you know, you can you can learn how to ski as an adult. In your case, you you can learn as a as a toddler. Um, and also, the wonderful thing about skiing is that even if you choose not to, there's still lots of fantastic things to do. Yeah, that's it. There's something for everyone to do. But I I often you know tell people. And ask the question: If you can find another sport apart from skiing that you can do with the whole family, you know, grandparents, the parents, and the grandchildren can all go skiing at once. I don't think you can find another sport that <laughs> is really that flexible. Absolutely. Well, look, Anton Grimace, it's been so lovely to have you as our first chat on our our winter special today. Good luck for the Mount Buller season and to everyone listening right now that's getting ready for their ski holiday. Be safe. Have a wonderful time no matter where you choose to go. While you're listening, why not add some travel to your inbox? Sign up for my weekly travel updates at journeystocome.com. I would like to shine the light the sunlight on Broome right now because 
not everybody is up for for the snow uh, for their winter holidays. And I, I just remember the very first time that I went to Broome and it was the depths of winter. And there is something just so darn beautiful about planting your lily white body on Cable Beach. And firstly, thawing the body. It takes a little bit of thawing. And then just to get a suntan, or in my case, a little bit of sunburn, uh, in the middle of winter, it is so heavenly. And so I would have to say that if you're chasing the sun this winter, think about Broome, uh, whether you are kayaking around the cliffs, absolutely gorgeous. The hotels are first class. It's a brilliant place for backpackers, grey nomads, people who love a sense of history and natural beauty. Oh, just truly breathtaking. But a lady who definitely knows it very well. Broom has her heart, who can attest to the lure of Broom, is the owner of Pinktada McAlpine House, Marilyn Paspaley, who joins us today. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Lovely to be talking to you. This time of year, people start dreaming about being in Australia, but also having the joy of, of heat and sunshine, which we're so lucky in Australia that we have that option. But but tell us a little bit about what Broome is like during the winter. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, you've picked the most fabulous dry season we've had. It's just amazing. There's no humidity at the moment. It's as dry as could be. This, the the breeze is beautiful coming in off the bay. The sun sun is shining every day. The it's it's one of those moments when people say the sky is so high. Mm. It sounds a very bizarre thing to say, but it means it's totally cloudless, and it's just this extraordinary blue, and it seems to just go forever above you. You, it couldn't be more beautiful, Katrina, really. Now, I, I was having a little rave last week about McAlpine House. I want to believe it's haunted. Tell us the story to McAlpine House because it really has a great history, doesn't it? It does. Have, it, yes, it does. I, I don't think it's haunted, but I oh. do think it has a fabulous positive spirit. Yes. There is something magical about it. I, I consider that we're caretakers, really. We look after it. It reminds me of a very beautiful, beautiful elderly woman. You have to care for it greatly and just put the right amount of very delicate makeup on it to make sure that it gleams and glows and looks as beautiful as it can. There's a, there's a subtle beauty about it that, and it has a great charm that goes beyond us, really. We just, we just are here to make sure that... Um, we're there to support it, I think, really. Now, Marilyn, obviously with a surname like Paspaley, it's it's a huge giveaway. But could you just share with our listeners how life led you and led you to Broome and what's captured your heart about it? I suppose uh, my family's been involved in Broome since the 1920s. And my father became a master pearler in the 1930s when the industry was based on fishing for the mother of pearl shell. Mm. And then he was one of the first people to start a... Uh, cultivating pearls in the Australian shell. And so that was in the very early 1950s. And we've been associated ever since. And it's an extraordinary industry, Katrina. I'm not sure whether Australians understand just how, um, what, an ex- what an amazing reputation it has internationally mm. as a whole. We, we have the highest standards in environmental um, uh, preservation. And, uh, and, of course, because of this wonderful natural a shell that grows on our coastline, we grow the most beautiful pearls in the world because the Pinktada Maxima shell is the finest shell to be producing a pearl. Mm. So we once again, you work with something that exists 
to enhance it, to care for it, and to nurture it so that you end up with it with an amazing result. It's sort of the story of our lives, I think. <laughs> well, today I'm asking you to, to put your tourism hat on, and I, I mentioned uh, in my intro that, that Broome uh, is adored by everyone from backpackers to grey nomads and people who have a, a love of, of history and natural beauty. But what are some of your favourite things to do, uh, or what do you recommend to, to, to travellers when they, when they come to your, your neck of the woods? I think the history and culture of Broome are something to discover. Mm. I think, of course, we're all aware of the natural wonders. There are so many. There's the amazing Cable Beach that you've mentioned. There's the Horizontal Falls, which are extraordinary. There are wonderful tours in the afternoons or the mornings out on the bay where you're looking for snub-nosed dolphins or or whales and their calves or or just simply uh, getting to understand the environment, the sea environment. But then there is also the cultural side, which is very much um, a part of the history because of the Yaru people, mm. who are the traditional owners here. There's extraordinary art in this region mm. uh, from, from all walks of life. There is a, uh, one of my favorites at the moment, and I hope you come and visit soon. Yes, I is better. This, please do. It's a, it's a cooperative uh, for, for Aboriginal women um, called Nagula Jandu, and it's not far from a Calpine house, actually. A lot of our guests go and visit it and have, have the most delightful time there. But it was created as a as a um, as a, a respite, if you like, and and a therapy for Aboriginal women who who had very traumatic um, circumstances in their lives. And it was it was really a retreat and an opportunity to focus on something positive. And they started teaching them block printing on fabric. Well. The work that is coming out of that um, mm. that workshop is absolutely astounding. And so we can go and, and visit it. Um, yes, next, yes. You, well, next time we're in Broome, but definitely close by to McAlpine House. Yes, indeed. And it's, it's, it's a walking distance. And it, the women are there. They love talking about their work. They love telling you the stories of, of their art, you know, because every, every um, design they do is based on their, their culture and their story that they're telling you about this country. It's the most beautiful work. I, I can't even describe it well, it's, sufficiently. It's yet another thing to adore about Broome. Marilyn, thank you so much for, for being on the show today because you are such a role model to, to me and so many people in this industry. But thank you for sharing your love of Broome. And I just got to get over and see you quick stick. Travel is often best shared with friends and family. So please share this podcast with your travel companions and make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you collect your podcasts. I will talk about Tassie until uh, the cows come home. I mean, Tassie at any time of the year is remarkable and it's absolutely fantastic. Once again, if you're a backpacker or if you love your drive tours, I, I love to I love to get a really cheap flight or the spirit of Tassie and head on over and just drive it because it's so compact, it's so easy. Uh, something, of course, the world adores the pureness of Tassie and they also love the fact that it has this incredible... Artwork, yes, history, of course, but also amazing produce. Now, we know that. We know it's the Apple Isle, but it's also fast becoming known as the Whiskey Isle (laughs) as well. In fact, Australia, get a load of this, now has more distilleries than Ireland. If you'd like to embrace winter ahead, head down to Tassie. 
and embark on one of their incredibly popular whiskey tours. So to tell us a little bit more about this one, because I've not done a whiskey tour. I've done every kind of tour in Tassie, but not this particular one. Drink Tassie. Oh, that's just so up my alley. Brett Steele, share the love, Brett. Share the story about drinking our way around Tassie. Drink Tasmania uh, premium tours. So... We started out uh, about three and a half years ago now okay. with um, Tasmanian whiskey tours and the chance to uh, take people around to really get behind the scenes and meet the distillers and uh, taste the product as it was being made there on site. How um, do you explain, Brett, Australia <clears throat> having more whiskey distilleries than, than Ireland itself? Why is that so? Well, I think it's just been incredible growth in the last uh, 10 years down here. And a big part of that is due to um, Bill Lark, who we refer to down here as the godfather of Australian whiskey. Yeah. And he managed to get the laws changed in uh, in 1992. Go, Bill. That's right. Yeah. So he managed to uh, chat with his local MP, Duncan Kerr, who then took it to... uh, Canberra and Barry Jones managed to get the law changed to say that we had no minimum size still requirements, not only for Tasmania, but for the whole of Australia. And that's really the point that uh, kick-started our, our modern craft distilling industry. Well, thank you for honouring that man today mm. because we are now the beneficiaries of, of that, that law change, I suppose. And so where do you take people um, in, in Tassie for their little whiskey tour? Yeah, so a number of different distilleries, depending on the day of the week, mm-hmm. we have uh, different uh, different routes. So down here in the south, um, we visit the, the Lark Distillery out in the Coal River Valley, Sullivan's Cove uh, whiskey that um, is just in Cambridge, and they won the world's best single malt whiskey in 2014. No, so the best in the world from Tassie. They, they did, yeah. That's right. So that was a really big uh, thing, not only for Sullivan's Cove, but um, oh, for, my for the whole of the state. My heart is swelling with pride. That is so fantastic. I, I do have to ask, for those of us, okay, me, who mm-hmm. are novice whiskey drinkers, what Great. do we need to look for when we're trying our whiskey? Number one is the uh, aroma and the, the smell of the whiskey, and enjoying that okay. before tasting is, uh, is a really lovely way to, to be introduced. And small sips to to begin with, so um, enjoying just letting the whiskey roll around on the tongue okay. and uh, and mouthfeel. And what we're doing um, extremely well here in Tasmania and uh, in distilleries around the country is creating small batch, small distilled uh, whiskey and, and spirit products mm-hmm. that aren't chill filtered. And so we're keeping all of that uh, fantastic mouthfeel and original flavours that are coming right through the uh, the whole tasting palette. Now, Brett, I have to ask, when you have your whiskey, do you like to have it with ice, without ice? Would you have it with Coke or water? <laughs> yes, well, we like to say that there's no wrong way to uh, drink your whiskey as long as it's as long as it's in the glass, yeah, yeah, but <laughs> a few a few um, aficionados along the way prefer to add a little bit of water okay. to uh, to whiskey. So to have it neat, so without ice and uh, without coke. But if you add a few drops of water to it, what that will do is actually break the, the surface of it and uh, bring out some of those deeper flavours that are found uh, further in the whiskey. So if you add half a dozen drops of 
water, especially to some higher strength whiskies, you can really start to see that uh, profile of the of the whiskey change okay. um, over time. So that's a good little tip that uh, we try to um, get everyone to to experiment with when they come on the whiskey tour with us. Thank you so much for that, Brett. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Journeys to Come. If you want any more information on the places that we visited, all the people we spoke to, then visit our website, journeystocome.com, for full details.